Hello, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. It's gluten-free, keto-friendly, and only contains one gram of sugar. That is right, folks. They have created a donut that is high in protein, gluten-free, keto-friendly, and low sugar. Check out Elite Sweets today by going to EliteDonut.com or Amazon. They are the number one donut on Amazon. On either platform, their D2C website, EliteDonut.com or Amazon, you can use code ShaneWhite30 for 30% off. So pretty cool. You can use either platform, whichever one you prefer. The code works on both. Today's episode is also brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly expelling vapors and sweating. When we wake up and we grab that morning cup of coffee, what do we do? We actually dehydrate ourselves even more. Routine has come up with a proprietary product called Morning Routine, and they come in single-serve packets, each of them containing half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and no sugar. I just tear one of those open, dump it into a full shaker of water, mix it up, and I'm good to go. I'm hydrated for the day, and it has truly become an essential in our house for morning hydration. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. You can check out their products at yourroutine.com, and you can use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody. I was just stoked, stoked. I just stuttered there. Stoked today to have Paul Vogue, the founder of Ourobora, on the podcast. Paul gets into the beginnings of Ourobora, the why. You know, I'll let him kind of dive in and explain the brand. But it was a really fun episode. Uh, appreciate Paul taking the time to come on. And without further ado, give it up for Paul Vogue. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am pumped today to have the founder of Ourobora, Paul Vogue, on the podcast. Paul, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. I know. I, I totally botched introducing you. This is the first time I've ever done that, so I had a, I had a rough start to this episode. <laughs> I, I botch introducing myself sometimes, so that's You know, fun. it happens. It happens yeah. for sure. Well, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I think first and foremost, for people listening to the podcast that want to know what Ourobora is, would you mind giving everyone just a quick intro to the brand and yourself? Sure. Ourobora is a craft sparkling water made from herbs, fruits, and flowers. Uh, we make currently five varieties of herbal sparkling water in uh whimsical ingredients you probably haven't had in another sparkling water. So lemongrass, coconut, peppermint, watermelon, cactus, rose, basil, berry, um, gosh, and lavender cucumber. I always forget one. Um, those are our current SKUs. The company started about two years ago. We're based in San Francisco and you can find our products in just over 2000 retailers, coast to coast. Nice. Love that. And give a little background to you. What, what were you doing before sure. Ourobora? I'm sure that wasn't like your first endeavor. It was not. No. Uh, before this, I worked at a, a small venture studio, not at all related to consumer. Um, probably most importantly, that had me near entrepreneurs, um, but kind of doing the less gratifying tasks of an entrepreneur just as, uh, as an associate at this company. But most importantly, had me drinking a lot of sparkling water every day, all day. So oh, yeah, that's what I was doing prior. Got it. Love it. What was your go-to sparkling water before Ourobora? That office was stocked with LaCroix and Waterloo most often. Um, my favorite was Topo Chico, but th those were the two we drank the most. I was probably drinking eight to 10 cans a day of LaCroix at one point. Wow. Yeah, I know when I when I joined RX, uh, I had never had a LaCroix or a sparkling water. I was from Indiana and I just never was around it. And then in that I office, it was always stocked. And now it's I'm in that boat. I drink a lot a day. Yes. Yep. That is That is a thing that you get addicted to very easily. Totally, totally. And so give everyone a little background. So what, um, I guess it was funny when I was looking for, uh, when I came across you, I remember 
I had seen the brand a while ago. I was trying to think back to it. I actually, the first time I came across Ouroboros was funny enough with Shark Tank. That's just like the first time I sure. saw you guys, which is probably a very common thing you get. Yeah. Um, what was kind of the initial reason for wanting to, to go out on your own and start something like Ouroboros? Sure. So in, in that, um, I'm sure a lot, a lot of your listeners probably work in office buildings that have like well-stocked pantry cafeteria areas. Um, I, I did. And we, we had kettle potato chips and Justin's peanut butter and Jenny's ice cream and Sam Adams beer on Fridays. Um, and a number of kind of artisanal craft options in very crowded categories uh, that I was drinking and eating all day. And then I was drinking those eight to 10 cans of LaCroix. And it just felt like kind of the thing I drink, the thing I consume the most out of this pantry area um, is just sort of a commodity. It's branded like a commodity. It's priced like a commodity. It doesn't taste good. It holds its carbonation for somewhere between two and a half and three minutes. Um, and when that's gone, like the appeal of it is lost. And throughout the office, like it was by far the most popular item. So it just felt weird that why is the most popular item? And we were a group of people that weren't super price sensitive. So we weren't buying it for its price, but we all agree we don't really like this. We're not impressed by this mediocre product. So, so there was a disconnect there. And I, I grew up in a home that didn't have soda as did my wife, Maddie. So we both grew up with crazy moms that knew soda was uh, not, the, not the answer. Sure. So both of us were addicted to sparkling water at, at a young age. Um, so drinking it at work, then drinking it at home with our soda stream and just started messing around, trying to figure out maybe there's a reason why there's always the same few flavors with whether it's LaCroix, Waterloo, Polar, private label, you name it. Um, and stumbled across some really fun, unique flavor combinations with just ingredients we could get our hands on. At first, it was kind of like a, a pretentious joke, right? I have friends over for pizza and I'd say like, hey, with that pepperoni pizza, do you want a lemongrass, coconut, sparkling water? You know, totally tongue in cheek, just messing around. And then enough of them said, hey, we know you're joking, but we'd actually buy this. So all that to say, that was kind of the impetus of it was one, drinking a lot of it, made it ourselves, felt like there was a weird disconnect between the people consuming it and what they were consuming. And then probably finally the validation of friends and family saying, no, we, we would buy a uh, craft sparkling water if it was available. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. So a little bit of market validation from your, your inner circle, I guess. Sure. Right. Sure. Did you, so at this point, I mean, if that's great. It's like, you have this idea, you're like kind of kicking it around, you're getting some positive feedback. Did you decide to start just canning it and making it on the side? Or did you jump fully into this and quit your job? Like how extreme was the, the leap to Oracle? Yeah. No, there, there were definitely a lot of like soda stream sessions, I'll say, where we were like carbonating and giving to people in the glass and asking their opinion. One night in particular, I think we got like 25 opinions and a bunch of surveys and trying to get as many people to chime in. So wow. You know, we, we launched with five flavors. We probably had like 12 we really enjoyed, um, but just launched with the strongest five. And uh, so the quick answer to your question is, is yes, we did. Uh, our very first production run was a thousand cans. It was at a really small um, co-packer that we actually didn't even use their line. Uh, we used like a separate canning machine and we canned it that afternoon. And there was a trade show that evening. Oh, wow. Um, so at one point I was standing at a picnic table with there were 1,000 cans of it in the world and I had all 1,000 of it below the picnic table. <laughs> that was at a trade show in Boulder, Colorado. I used to live uh, in North Denver. Luckily, we got a really good response to that trade show. So after that point, it, it was kind of like, hey, if this doesn't work, I can go find a different job or try something else. And worst case scenario, I drink a lot of sparkling water. I'll just drink all of this myself. Yeah, um, right. Luckily, there was a good response. And very soon thereafter, we did our very first kind of big production run or what felt like a big production run at the time. That was the end of 2019. So then January of 2020, we kind of had product, had a plan, had pricing. At that point, I had moved to Northern California due to Maddie's job. Um, and we were off to the races. So that's wow. that's a quick answer. So yes. Pretty quick. We, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it, even at the beginning there, I know I've had a few folks on here that who are in the beverage space. I know like the biggest barrier to entry is is like the capital needed up front. Was that, right. what, what was that like for you in your situation? That seems like you kind of hit the ground running. Um, yes. You know, it of course helped to, we won, like a lot of people get in that situation because they find a co-packer that needs them to do, I'm throwing out numbers here, but like 250,000 cans at a time. 
we were really fortunate in that we had our very first co-packer. I mean, our very first run, besides that thousand can run, I think our very first production run was 20,000 cans, um, which is just unbelievably low in in beverage, like really, really hard to find anyone that could beat that minimum. Um, So that, that was what really helped on the capital front. Soon thereafter, once we started getting into stores, we of course hit the fundraising circuit and okay. uh, feels like I haven't gotten off of it. So yeah, it, it's definitely a necessity, especially in beverage and CPG in general, but in beverage in particular where margins are thinner and payment terms are, are hard to come by. Yeah, definitely. Did you, um, did you start off trying to bootstrap it for as long as you could, or is it just one of those things where it just inevitably you're, you have to get capital to outpace the demand early on? So there, there was a funny story there of, I, um, really liked my old job. It kind of felt like, Hey, we're living in Denver. We were fortunate enough that we could live on one salary if we needed to. So I'll quit my job, do this full time, try the sparkling water thing. That was like the summer of 2019, as we were getting started, finishing the recipes, finding, you know, aluminum, cardboard, et cetera. And two or three weeks later, my wife got a call from a headhunter asking if she wanted a job in California. So there, there was some humor to it of, oh, okay, we're not living in Colorado anymore. We actually now live in San Francisco. Like it couldn't have, it got as expensive as it could. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the exception of maybe like Hong Kong, I think that's still not like the most expensive city in the world. So very quickly realized, okay, I probably immediately need to fundraise, immediately get into some stores so I have some traction to show. So we raised a little bit of money from family and friends, and then a little more money from angel investors, and then finally did a couple of real fundraise rounds more recently. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And then where does, like I said at the very beginning, where where did Shark Tank fall into all that timeline? Gosh. So started selling the products around the Bay Area, just out of my Subaru in January of 2020. As you can imagine, those first like 10 weeks, we're doing sampling events, we're doing demo events. At the same time, I'm flying to Texas every week for this accelerator we did called SKU. Oh, nice. Um, And then the world came to a stop right in the middle of SKU. Middle of March, I flew out to Texas. And that week, there was like some rumblings about the NBA delaying its season or postponing its season. And then COVID hit. And stopped going to Texas, obviously, and uh, couldn't really safely go to the stores. That was the time where the only reason you should be in a store is if you're like running in, grabbing toilet paper and canned goods and running back to your car. And you're like cleaning every single item with Windex. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, remember that. Um, So at that point, things were slow. And I was actually really worried. I'm like, oh gosh, we just got off the ground. I have like 40,000 cans in my brother's garage of sparkling water. We need to move through it. And now I just like can't ethically sell. You know, they don't want me walking into the store and shaking hands and trying to get it on the shelf. In that weird kind of like first three weeks of the pandemic where we're all watching the news every night, I got a random email from someone claiming to be a Shark Tank uh, producer or casting person which of course I just thought it was one of my friends, like with a lot of time on their hands, like making a joke. Um, A couple days later, they emailed again and I took the call and turns out it was a a casting and they don't normally do that. But uh, when they have guest sharks on, they want to make sure they have companies that are in the same industry as the guest shark. Uh, So this last season, I think this upcoming season as well, they had Daniel Levitsky, the founder of Kind Bar, so they were looking for CPG customers and can't remember if the casting person had seen us in a store or just saw us online, but that kind of got the ball rolling. That was right at the beginning of COVID. And then we filmed in August of 2020, also during COVID, and then aired January of 2021. So all that to say, wow. Shark Tank kicked off the third week of our second year of selling. Kind of one year after starting to sell, we launched on the show. That's pretty crazy. That's nuts. And I, I honestly, I, I feel like I've been watching a lot of episodes lately. What ended up happening? I forget if you got a deal or not. We did. We got a deal with Robert Hershevik. Um, it was like a crazy filming experience, crazy airing. I'm sure you've heard from yeah. other folks, but um, no, I remember, I remember the, your episode. I remember that was quite a, it was quite an episode for sure. It was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun and throw in the extra COVID bonus of you know, we were, I think we were locked in a hotel room for 10 days, like quarantining. And oh, wow. There was even more pressure of, hey, if you don't get this, you just wasted 10 days of August locked in a hotel room in Las Vegas. <laughs> so um, that, that added some pressure for sure. Of, we've got to make this work. 
So yeah. I'm trying to get white. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. You got that. You got that awesome California sunshine. I don't <laughs> get that here as often now this time of year. Um, no, that's really cool, man. Um, has that been, has that been kind of a game changer for you guys just in general? I feel like that show, like, sure. It's the money you raise, but it's also like, I can only imagine the connections and then the, the visibility right. that it impacts all your channels, especially like e-commerce. Totally. No, the, the two biggest wins from it were one, um, kind of exactly what you just said. Hey, the first time I heard about you guys was in Shark Tank. You know, retailers say that, distributors say that. A couple of employees we just onboarded said that. So it's like, you know, the greatest marketing we can never afford. Um, So can't beat that. So even more so than the night of, of course, it's great to have a nice spike in sales and national television is a really powerful marketing tool. Better than that, though, is kind of the long-term connection of, yes, we have email addresses. We can market to people retailers recognize us as a brand they remember seeing a rerun in a plane at some point of and you just you can't buy that headspace so that's by far the, the best piece of it um is just one yes e-commerce helping out with giving us a reason to remarket to folks that saw us on tv a year ago now um or two giving some legitimacy legitimacy to the brand whether it's a consumer a retailer a distributor it helps for them to have seen it somewhere they trust yeah, no, I, I can only imagine like I, every, everyone who I've talked to on the podcast who has some way, shape or form been through Shark Tank, it just seems like it's kind of an accelerator to just, it just sure. eyes if anything else, right? Oh, yeah. Open the deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so did that then kind of translate into additional fundraising? You said you kind of have like never gotten out of it. Is that just inevitable with the beverage space? To some degree? I think, yeah, it, it'll depend who you're talking to. I think it's kind of, I don't know, I shouldn't say inevitable, but I'll say it seems normal to me in beverage today to be raising every 10 to 16 months, um, which, you know, when you're fundraising, it usually takes six to eight weeks. So it takes six to eight weeks and then it's every 10 months and then it takes six to eight weeks again. Pretty soon you're like, okay, it's kind of like four months off, eight months on. Um, Wow, yeah. But all all that to say, yeah, we we did three fundraising rounds so far. We'll be kicking off a fourth here in a few weeks. So, yeah. wow, exciting stuff, though. I mean, do you enjoy that? Is that like a fun part of the job? Uh, it it is. It, I'll say it can be, depending who you're talking to. Um, it is definitely a fun part of the job to you know kind of round up your resources and say, hey, here's kind of our report card. Here's what we've been up to. Here's why you should believe in this brand or, or believe in our future, our past, our present, etc. Um, the negative of it is it just feels like another job on top of everything else. So. I would, I would answer that question with a wholehearted yes, if I could just like pause time and do all these conversations and all the follow-ups and all of the pitch decks, Excel spreadsheets, models, et cetera, and then press play and go back. But I guess that Hermione Granger necklace she has in that movie, that'd yeah. be the... <laughs> that'd be the best that, that would make fundraising easy i would love that got it yeah yeah because yeah. you can't you have to keep operating too right Correct. you still have, yeah. you still have cans to sell so exactly. that, that's so true um no that's 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 super interesting i know um the fundraising thing in the beverage space to me is just interesting it just seems i had um i had jordan from super coffee on recently and it just kind of same thing it just is like it's just like yeah. becoming this thing that like kind of is an always rolling process of and really just part of the business honestly Totally. No, I mean, of course, those guys have fundraised a whole lot of times and a whole lot of dollars. Um, but yeah, when you're when you're disrupting a category the way Super Coffee is, like that's going to be an expensive thing. You know, you yeah. can't. Uh, I think they're the number three, maybe even number two at this point. Like bottled coffee brand, like you don't get there in five years without raising tens of millions of dollars. Um, so similar, any kind of disruption will take a huge expense because. Yeah, Starbucks also has been spending tens of millions of dollars, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of generations. So to make True. up for the difference, you know, that it's just a, the name of the game. And yeah. unfortunately in beverage in particular, there's just, there are no singles or doubles. There's just strikeouts and home runs. Um, oh, okay. Why do you, yeah. why do you say that? Um, I think given, uh, so two things. So one, obviously you could look at every, beverage exit or successful beverage acquisition and more likely than not the beverage was uh not net profitable when it sold it was an unprofitable business that the acquirer quickly or it you know was able to slash away at cogs and slash away at freight and distribution because they probably own their own network of trucks whether it's dr pepper keurig coke pepsi nestle you name it uh becoming more relevant anheuser-busch molson coors 
it's only profitable if one, you can own all of the manufacturing in a vertically integrated way, which all of those companies do for all of their manufacturing, and two, own all the distribution in a vertically integrated way, which those companies do. So for us, us being beverage entrepreneurs, like, yeah, my cogs will never be as good as Coke's. We're going to rely on 10 different distributors to get to market. And as a result, each of them take a big wide margin from us. There's freight involved in getting it to all of their warehouses. So with the exception of maybe Arizona iced tea, I don't know any net profitable businesses that aren't owned by those Interesting. four. Interesting. I've never even thought about that. That's such a, a great point. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully your, your favorite beverage is uh, able to keep fundraising. So they can, Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe even to go back on that, like, you know, I'm sure part of this has been the process of, of getting into the industry and learning yourself, but did you know a lot of that when you got into it? Is that, is that been like a big learning lesson just like how the industry works and, and even the profitability component of it? No, it's been a massive learning lesson. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I say this sentence all the time now, just for shock value of, you know, if you just o- open your pantry pull out everything owned by General Mills, Kraft Heinz, uh, Nestle, Coke, Pepsi, et cetera. Okay, everything that's left in there is probably a not profitable business with a few notable exceptions. Um, and people are seeing this more and more, especially when some of these companies are going public. You know, yeah. we all just got to see Oatly's books. And yeah, I was True. amazed how not profitable they are. And they're ubiquitous in four categories. Um it's the reason people want companies like Chobani to go public of like, Hey, you've managed to create a really strong brand. that's net profitable in a bunch of categories. That's so rare. Um, so your the quick answer to your question is no, I did not know this at all. Um, and, and that's probably a good thing. You know, if I, if I did, I'd probably be doing something else right now. Um, I was helped out by two awesome books that I totally recommend for anyone trying to get into the beverage scene. The first is Mark Rampola's book. Um, it's all about him starting Zico coconut water. Oh, he does an amazing job of kind of walking through like back when he used to work at, I think the company is called international paper. So totally unrelated to coconut water, but that company had him in Latin America where he was drinking a lot of coconut water all the way up until selling it to Coca-Cola. I wish he would come out with an indented version of buying it back from Coca-Cola because that was a recent deal happening last year, but the book's amazing. Um, where he walked through a lot of the economics of beverage and, and coconut water is some of the best economics because you're not even manufacturing it. You're buying it in, like as coconut oh, water, just yeah. 100% coconut water just in your bottles. Um, the second book is actually not even a book. It's a comic. It's amazing. It is Seth Goldman's book about starting Honest Tea. Similarly gets into so much of the nitty gritty profitable uh you know, P and L type questions. So really, Oh, I got to read both of these. I didn't even, I've never read either of them. Either oh, I, I read both of them. Honestly, I'm not even embarrassed to say probably every four to six months, just to remind myself of like different things they did. And obviously both of them were successful in their, in their ventures. So yeah, it's been super helpful for a total beverage novice to see, Hey, these, these two were both beverage novices too. And they got in the scene, you know, yeah. what do you need to do to succeed? Well, it sounds cool too. Cause I mean, obviously this is my, this is the first time we've, we've connected and, and I can tell that you have a ton of passion behind what you're doing and you're not just worried about like be making this, you know, obviously you want to start a business and make money, but like right. you can tell there's a lot more to you than, than just that you have like a true passion for what you're building, which is really cool. I mean, and no, then no, I guess, yeah, absolutely. No, no. I, I was just going to say, that's actually a lot of what uh, both of their books chime in on of, yeah, this is so difficult. It, there's almost something, there's like a, there's an inverse thing of like, you're an investor or, or even a, a retailer. You might be worried like, Hey, is this company just in it to make a buck? And I would say winning in beverage is so hard that, you know, they have to be passionate about it. Cause if they weren't, it's just not possible. Sure. Um, you just can't do it otherwise. So, and it a, seems like it would be too, it'd almost be like, a, it's just like a category. Like, like if, if out of any of the categories, like it's just, if, once you get into it, if you realize how hard it is, it almost seems right. like if you don't have the passion, like you're just gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna fizzle out anyway. Up. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no Absolutely. way. Yeah. That is so cool. So interesting. Um, wow. I'm just, I'm thinking about it. I think it's, that's like the coolest thing. Cause it's funny. I, I was thinking about that with the other beverage founders I've had on here and you stand out the most to me of just like, you're passionate about it. So I guess to build on that, what is, you know, I, you know, for the brand you're building, what is like the, yeah. this is going to, this is going to sound like a left field question, but like, what's the, what's the why? Like now that I know you're passionate about the beverage space, like what's, 
the why of what Ouroboros is really trying to do? I mean, you kind of explained it at the beginning, but is there anything sure. else that like you kind of wanted to add on to that? Yeah, there are a couple of things. So um, I've, the, the big like macro data is, you know, young people are drinking less and less alcohol than their, than their parents and their grandparents. Wow. Um, older people and younger people, but mostly older people are drinking less and less soda. So all in all, soda and alcohol are, I'll use your term because it's always my favorite pun, you know, fizzling out from our diets. Yeah. Um, in, in a big way. As a result, you know, we've replaced it with as close to calorie-less or as close to sugar-less non-alcoholic alternatives, which is why we have this like nice gray area sparkling beverage shelf. I'm sure you've seen it at your local Whole Foods. Oh yeah. Um, where it's hard to know what's what's a soda, what's a sparkling water, what's a tonic, what's a beverage, like all these words are getting thrown around. At the end of the day, yeah, take sugar and uh alcohol out of a sparkling drink. And what you're left with is a seltzer of sorts with a sparkling water. So I don't know, you could say like four or five years ago, we had a huge uptick in LaCroix and recently Topo Chico. And of course, White Claw and truly in a bunch in that uh, alcoholic space where people are creating these hybrid sparkling waters, whether it's sparkling water plus alcohol, sparkling water plus juice, sparkling water plus CBD, sparkling water plus adaptogenic nootropics, you name it, we're making it. Um, but all that to say the macro data is showing, Hey, all in all, we're going to be drinking more and more sparkling water and it's for the better, you know, it is, uh, alcohol as much as I like partaking, like is a toxin, uh, drinking sugar is a horrible way to, to treat your body. So we're going to be drinking more and more of this. And it felt like, why are the options either $5 a can slash bottle? Cause they have these functional ingredients that are, Again, adaptogenic, nootropic, CBD, you name it, or they're LaCroix and they're not interesting. So part of the why is we found, hey, people are coming to our beverage, not just as a sparkling water, they're drinking it as a mocktail, as a cocktail mixer, as a soda alternative. Oh, yeah. And we interesting and nuanced in flavor and ingredients they, they know from other walks of life, but also be affordable at just $1.99 a can. So the big why is, yes, we'd love to reduce sugar from people's diets, reduce alcohol from diets, sure, but we want to be a better-for-you natural CPG company that doesn't break the bank. So many uh, food and beverage products, just they live in the Erewhon's, Whole Foods, uh, Foxtrot's of the world, which are all awesome retailers. I'm not knocking any of them, but the, the percentage of Americans that can shop at those places is by far the minority of the country. So our hope is, and it's taking some time to get there, can we be a, a sparkling water alternative for the masses? Can we be a craft sparkling water that someone at Target can afford, someone at Walmart can afford on the coasts, but also in the middle of the country? Um, so that's Got the quick one. Yeah, no, I yeah. no, love that. I mean, so would you would you consider Ourobor to be like you, you made a good point of like LaCroix are almost a commodity at this point. And like, right. if they're in an office, some, usually people have an entire fridge of it. So drinking seven or eight during the day, if you're just work, headphones on working, it's like pretty easy to do totally. is, is because yours, because Ouroboros is a little bit more like unique flavors. And I feel like it's more, it sounds like it's more of an experience when you drink it, yeah. than just like crushing a LaCroix. Right. Um, do you people normally drink like as many in a day for, for example? No, <clears throat> good question. So I, I, um, I won't throw myself in that because I probably drink the same number, but I'm sure. uh, in a special like field of sparkling water drinkers. No, most consumers we've surveyed on that do drink fewer. Um, not that there'd be anything wrong with drinking more. There's zero calories, zero sugar, zero sodium. You're, uh, it'd be totally fine to drink as many as you'd like, but because it is more of an experience, yes, they are drinking fewer. Um, it is no doubt a premium sparkling water experience, but still closer to a soda price point than it would be say a CBD beverage price point. Got yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. That's definitely like a white space. That is very true. When I think about the beverage space at any place I go shop to, there's really cheap and there's really expensive and there's really not right. a lot playing in that middle ground, I guess. I've never thought about that. Well, we're trying. Yeah. We're hoping there's not a reason there's no one in that middle ground. Maybe there's a, an, a, a string of beverages that have tried and failed but we're trying to do that. And of course, you know, it's a fun, whimsical brand with a lot of great ingredients. At the very least, if someone can think, wow, I was drinking it at work. Like you said, headphones in, you're locked in, you're drinking eight to 10 cans. And just like, it never was a treat, 
So at the very least, we'd love to be a treat, not a treat that you have to budget calories or sugar for, but a treat nonetheless. Love that. And I love it. You made a good point. It's something I hadn't thought about. Like even when I drink, me and my wife have like a cocktail. We would use like, if you, if we ever do mix like a soda or anything, it's like a zero calorie Sierra right. mist or whatever. But yeah. that's, a, that's a fantastic point that like your product could also fit in that where it's, you know, people could use it as like a, a boost to something that sure. maybe you're buying from kind of, you know, shittier brands, right? Like you're buying like a, a sure. Coke or Pepsi product with zero calorie. You'd rather buy it from someone like you guys who, you know, they're, there's like premium ingredients in it with it. For sure. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And so where can people today find your product? Obviously I know you guys have a great website, by the way, I was on there earlier today. Love, love the feel and the vibe. I guess that's maybe a question I would love to ask you is like, what all went into that? Is that, is that like a big part of the brand is like your e-commerce side of things, especially with the launch kind of like right after COVID started? Yeah, I'll answer the first question first. I mean, you can find the product uh, or it. So one, go to our website and there's a store locator and you can find the, the store closest to you. But uh, broadly speaking, we're in a couple regions of Whole Foods. We're at Fresh Time in the Midwest, Harris Teeter in the Southeast, Fairway, ShopRite in the Northeast, United in Texas. Um, if you're on the West Coast, going from San Diego up to, to Seattle, you can find us at Jimbo's, Lassen's, Bristol Farms, <clears throat> Mother's, Erewhon, Lenardi's, Berkeley Bowl, wow. Metropolitan Market. So a string of natural kind of regional grocery store chains. Um, but for the closest one to your block, go to our website and click on where to find. Um, you guys have really grown distribution quickly. I mean, that's that's a lot of retailers. Thank you. Yeah, we've been trying to. Um, it, it's been a slog, but it, it's, um, yeah, <clears throat> feels good to feels like the beginning, you're kind of just selling yourself. You know, sure. I was in their parking lot with my Subaru harassing these buyers. So <laughs> they probably bought it more so just to get me to stop showing up. Please take um, my seltzer. <laughs> yes. And then after that, you, the, the product itself is selling itself. And then hopefully stage three, the data from stores you're already in is selling it to future stores. Um, to your question about the website and kind of the overall vibe. So the quick answer is um, I married well. So my wife, Maddie, is a full-time creative director in tech. Oh, nice. She is all things design, brand, copywriting, you name it. Um, it, it was a big piece of it. Uh, we knew, hey, we're going to differentiate with these crazy flavors. As I said from the beginning, you know, you won't find a cactus rose sparkling water anywhere else. Definitely we're going to differentiate with ingredients, with mouthfeel. It's going to taste more natural. But finally, if we're going to use whimsical flavors you haven't tried elsewhere, the can and the brand should match that. Most sparkling water is branded like a commodity. You know, they, you can think of private label seltzer as a perfect example of this, of, hey, this is a replaceable cheap thing that any brand will do. We want people to know like, hey, this actually, this experience is so different from everything else. The can should also look so different. So that was part of the reason to the wild, whimsical vibe with colorful characters that are, you know, living in a, uh, a world where coconuts are the size of Escalades and huge lemongrass leaves, you know, drop up to the ceiling like palm trees. So that, that was our hope, was yeah. to have it be a conversation starter for sure. No, I definitely got that vibe. Um, I, one of the things that stood out to me, and this is probably because I'm, a, I'm an e-commerce guy and at RX, yeah. I spent a lot of time with D2C. Mm-hmm. I got the the vibe as well. Um, it's very, you guys push a lot to like the product and the creative side and less so about like you and the founding team and like that. Is there, is there kind of a reason for that and why you guys are, you know, you really push towards product and, and flavor. Like I got that vibe right away. I'm like, oh, they're really, that's like the, the flow you go through on the website. Right. No, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. We, um, we for sure want the product to speak for itself. You know, I, I, um, I was about to say, I won't be in the grocery store aisle pitching it to you, although I often am. So <laughs> depending on where you live, I, I might, that might've been a, an empty might just see Paul walking around with some yeah. something. <laughs> um, I'm usually in this Mets hat, so you'd be warned. No, uh, <laughs> our, our hope is um, the product would speak for itself, both in the aisle and on, on the site. So I have no huge goal of people knowing that I'm the guy selling them the herbal sparkling water more so I'd like them to be excited about the sparkling water itself um, and they can quickly forget who I am or never know it in the first place ideally but that that was kind of the goal yes there are consumers that like to know the first and last name of the products they're buying Um, I'm not one of those consumers I know that often I think hey if that's the case you know in some instances that's used as a crutch 
like it's not that great a product, but don't worry because such and such made it and they're really great. I'd rather have people think, no, this product, regardless of whoever's making it, it is strong enough for me to keep repurchasing it was our hope. Got it. Yeah. I think you guys hit that one on the head for sure. <laughs> I felt that way. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> on the same token of, of e-commerce has, how has D to C and Amazon, has that changed your business at all with COVID? Like, obviously the one thing I always think of when I talk to beverage founders is like, it's so expensive, I'm sure to oh. ship through Amazon. Um, is that still a, an avenue? That's a big push for you guys. You know, obviously the, the breadth of it's wild today, but um, knowing you're getting retail distribution, I'm always curious if that's also helping the flywheel on Amazon. It is. Yeah. It's a funny, um, if you're an econ guy, you know, like attribution is the name of the game. You're trying to figure out what, uh, what spend is leading to what sales or which sales are coming from which ad. And yeah. it used to be easier. It's getting more difficult, particularly with Facebook slash Instagram. Um, throw in that as you increase door count, you know, there's less incentive to buy a two-day shipping product for 12 cans if I can go buy three cans down the block in 10 minutes. Um, yeah. So in a way, you're like kind of competing against yourself of, hey, as we continue to grow distribution, we should expect consumers to buy less and less from our website. So two, two answers there. One, with Amazon, yeah, there's some differentiation. You know, it's a different consumer. We found even during both the Shark Tank airings we've had of, Gosh, there are people that just, they don't even go to Google. They go straight to Amazon, put in Ourobora. If it pops up, they buy it. If they don't, it, they don't. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't, they don't. So I'm not that consumer. That generally skews slightly older folks that, you know, they kind of treat their Amazon account like a search engine. Um, so as a result, yes, we had to be on Amazon. That's where consumers were, particularly doing, during those two huge media blitzes. Um, Online, our hope is to be slightly different from in-store. So, you know, you can't buy a variety pack in a store. You can buy it on our website. Ah, yeah. We're doing limited edition flavors that you will hopefully eventually find in retail. But if you kind of want the first taste, you need to buy it on our website. So some of it was playing with how do we differentiate product set? How do we differentiate from stores, from Amazon? It's like a constant struggle. Uh, your quick question of how has that changed this year? It's been a total roller coaster. Like I said, we started the year January 18th on Shark Tank, getting all of these email addresses and all these new fans and all these inbound requests. And then iOS 14 happened a few months later and all of our ad dollars changed. So I, yeah. I don't know, every day I have a different opinion on it. For sure. For sure. No, it's so interesting hearing like the life cycle of, of like a brand on e-commerce in, in retail, because I, it's like almost everyone goes through the same thing I'm learning. Like even at RX, like the D to C Amazon world, like it kind of grew with the early retail partners. Right. Like as, right. as people started to see it on shelf, people would also then go check it on Amazon. So then oh. we also had people do that, that route. Um, but then and over time, there's, there's no way to attribute is, Hey, you guys, you got my uh, Instagram ad and then you bought it in Whole Foods. Yes. I don't know anything about that. So hundred percent. It's tough, right? You figure that out. I mean, if you're listening to this and you like want a billion dollar idea, that's, that's a billion dollar idea. Yeah. Easily a billion dollar idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Cause then over time, it seems like then as you get into like larger and larger distribution, your DSC site in some ways, you guys, in my opinion, do it really well. You're doing free shipping. I think free shipping is like the one thing I always talk to people, I'm like, if you can't do free shipping, you're just, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot to a degree because you, right. why not just go to Amazon and get two day free right. shipping. Right. Um, so if you can pull that off and afford it, yeah, that's great. But it's interesting because then it, I feel like the D2C site slowly but surely becomes a marketing channel more than anything. Totally. Like it's just a place for people to go and learn about your product and where they can find totally. it. So it's just yeah. interesting, the whole life cycle of it. Um, and then I guess to build off of that, I mean, you guys, it sounds like you're crushing getting new distribution. Is there, are you guys trying to get into some of the bigger box retailers at any point, or is that kind of further down the road for you guys, you think? Yeah. Um, gosh, I if this podcast was a couple of weeks later, I, I think I'd have a couple of exciting announcements. But, oh, nice. Um, Here we go. I'll just answer it. Like, you know, we, as I mentioned during that long rant of, yeah, we want to meet consumers where they're at both in natural and in conventional. So if you can name a big retailer in conventional that we might be in, we're probably giving it a shot. Yeah. Love that. Love that answer too. That's great. Yeah. Well, there you go. Everyone can go search around after they listen to this. Good. Good. There we go. No, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, 
Very cool. Um, so you guys have you know, a variety of flavors right now. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience today from an innovation standpoint or the things outside yeah. of whether, whether it's flavors or just different products you guys think you're going to get into in the next couple of years? For sure. No, we, we, um, we had a lot of fun formulating the first five flavors, but like I said, plenty were left on the cutting room floor of, Hey, when you launch a product, you you kind of can't launch more than five or six SKUs to start just because so many of the stores are going to be like, I don't know who you are. I don't know this brand. We'll take two or three of them. And all of a sudden it hurt, it hurts with production. It hurts with inventory. Sure. You have to hit minimum quantity. So five was kind of the most we could imagine starting with. And it helped of course, that there were a clear five winners from that initial batch of 12, but it was so much fun formulating and flavors are constantly changing. Flavors come on trend, go off trend, et cetera. So we wanted to be nimble there. So we did our first limited edition launch of a flavor. Gosh, was that two months ago now? Uh, yeah, a little more than two months ago now. Ginger Meyer lemon was the flavor. Oh, nice. Um, it drank kind of like a non-alcoholic Moscow mule. It was really awesome. It sold out in a little over a week. So wow. we're bringing Congrats. that back in November. Thank you. Um, our next limited edition flavor will launch in two weeks. It is grapefruit elderflower. Obviously grapefruit is the most popular LaCroix flavor. Um, so people are, uh, you know, vying to get something grapefruit. We wanted to have our own spin on it, stay in our same lane of yeah. craft with an herbal ingredient. So grapefruit elderflower will be, uh, end of October, November will be the reemergence of ginger Meyer lemon. And then December we're doing a, a holiday skew. So I can't reveal any more than that, but uh, it'll have some of the traditional flavors you're used to consuming in other mediums around December. Wow. Exciting stuff. Hear it here yeah. first. That's Where will these special edition flavors be? They will all live on Ourobora.com. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love that. Very nice. So limited edition on the website. Yeah. That's huge. Love that. That's cool. And you're able to pull that off with your, your co-packer and all that, or you guys... It, it's, it is a slog. Yeah. It's not, uh, <laughs> it is definitely a difficult thing to pull off. Um, but we feel like it's worth it. One, typically these are bought by our like most, uh, ardent fans. So it feels like an easy group to do something difficult for like folks that are already buying our products. They buy those same five SKUs. And the best part is they get to weigh in on the new SKUs, you know, oh, like, cool. If, Hopefully there's a world where, yeah, we're going to, we'll end this year having launched three limited edition varieties. If two of those are great, one of them are bad, we'd love to take two of them to retail. Um, and we're sending out surveys and getting feedback and hitting the phones pretty hard once people buy them. So hopefully we get good feedback and next year they can graduate to retail and we'll continue to iterate online. That's a really cool. I know that's something I mean, in my previous life, we've tried to pull off. It's tough. I know from experience, totally. that is a tough thing to do. So good for you guys. That's exciting stuff. Thank you. Yeah, definitely a lot of moving pieces, but we're giving it a whirl. Yeah, love that. Very cool. Um, so Paul, some of the last questions I always love to ask founders on here, I'm going to throw at you here. The first one is uh, obviously busy guy. You're running a business. You have a lot going on. What do you use day to day to plan business goals, personal goals, and really just like get through daily tasks? Is it a pen and paper, an app? What is what is your go to to get shit done? Yeah, um, I am. I'm embarrassed by the. I mean, even just below this camera, I've got like ten pieces of paper with notes scrawled all over them, which is not the best system. Um, I'll you know what's funny though? It's the most common answer I get. Okay, of founders well, for sure. It, it, I think it, part of it is like, if you're working at weird hours, which most entrepreneurs are like, there's some freedom to like something that pops in your head that happened nine hours ago, you quickly want to write down. So your, your tomorrow self can remember it. Um, that I got away with that a lot more when it was just me or, or when our team was a lot smaller, we've hired a lot in the last seven months. So we started on a tool called notion, which it feels like more and more people are using Notion has been amazing. It is like an incredible, incredible uh, software tool for keeping a team organized, oh. keeping sales and marketing and ops, talking to one another, making sure all of our notes are accessible by everybody. My favorite thing about it is that they just have a like unbelievably powerful search tool. So huh. that, that's my quick answer. Sweet. Notion. I've never heard of that. Notion. Now, if, okay. if I could go back in time and change one thing, I would make sure that in 2019, I started on Notion and made sure everything was well organized on Notion, such that when I bring more people on, they don't have to rely on me to onboard. They can like find it on this database of info. 
Oh, so it's cool. So it could, it could like document all the stuff you've worked on cross-functionally, everything. Yeah. Well, that's really yeah. cool. Cause that's probably the biggest hurdle of a, a small company is when you bring people on you to like teach them everything. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Very cool notion. All right. Well, thank you yeah. for that. We'll, we'll share that with the audience for sure. Um, the next one is I, I always say source of knowledge and you've already given one in this episode. So this is a bonus for everybody, but what would you say for the listeners, whether it's a, a podcast, a book, just source of knowledge that you suggest people listen to or read? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll repeat those two of, gosh, let me just get the names of rather than the authors. Um, Seth Goldman's book is called mission in a bottle. Um, Mark Rampola's book is called, it's reach for the, what is it? Nope. High hanging fruit. So mission in a bottle and high hanging fruit are two awesome books for starting beverage companies in particular. Um, probably my, the, the next one on the list, it's not a beverage, but it's also in CPG is Jamie Schmidt's book, Supermaker about starting Schmidt's deodorants. Okay. Um, yeah. What was another great one for me? Those are three awesome resources. Um, of course, for more like podcasty type resources, Taste Radio is a great spot to hear from, you know, way smarter entrepreneurs than me. Um, and, and then finally, there are like three, I'm sure there are more. I'll say the three gentlemen that I most learned from in the space, uh, uh, Dr. James Richardson, he has a book, but he also has a blog. Uh, let me remember the name of his blog. One sec. Premium Growth Solutions is the name of his business. Okay. Um, the name of his book is Ramping Your Brand. So he is like specifically in natural CPG. Maybe no one has written more about ramping a brand sales-wise wow. in wow. a part way. Um, Elliot Began, his group is called the Intertwine Group. Um, similarly, he's a consultant, but also puts out a lot of great content about scaling natural brands. And then finally, Bob Burke, uh, his, his company is called Natural Products Consulting. I think he was at Stonyfield Farm for a bunch of years. So it's hard to be in this industry longer than six months and not hear one of those three names. Yeah, All three of them, I get their email every week and they always have awesome knowledge to share. Wow. Thank you very much, Paul. Those are great. Those are yeah. very, very cool uh, little, little bits of knowledge there. Well, sweet. I think you won the award. That was that was probably the most uh, impactful amount of knowledge we've definitely had gotten on the podcast. Good, appreciate Good. No, that. I like to say, if anyone has any questions, I'm like, look, I'm just butchering an answer I got from one of these three guys or one of these three books. So, um, yeah, go straight to the source. Cut me out of the, the equation. Awesome, I love that. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, really, the the last big one I wanted to ask is just you know. You've been in this now for a couple of years. Um, you've, you've, I mean, already it sounds like you've had a wild experience. What has been the biggest surprise since you started Ourobora? Hmm. Good question. Um, I'll, I'll say two surprises. Um, what one has been how much consumers care about small details that I thought no one would notice. Um, this is a really small example. Today, I got a, a note from someone that noticed just the slightest tweak we made in our lavender cucumber flavor, where we just kind of felt like this can be slightly better. So we made a very, very small tweak. And that was a month ago. So product, you know, finally made it to shelves. Okay. And I had a subscriber write me a note. Who, I don't know this person, except that they buy a lot of our product. And they said, hey, I got this can with this lock code on the bottom. And I like it 10 times more than the last lavender cucumber batch. Like, well done. And wow. they, it was so bold because they didn't even ask like, hey, is something different? Or maybe I'm just tasting it different. They were positive. They, they knew, knew better. They just knew. You did something different and it's better. So one, I've been surprised in every way of, hey, you know, I love um, the way you guys communicate the ingredients or the way you guys communicate how your cans are recyclable or the way you say this on social media. Little things that, that I assume no one will notice almost always a, a huge number of people notice. Wow. In particular, the consumers you most want to win over notice. So that's been the first surprise of every little thing kind of counts. Um, probably the second surprise has been, uh, and this will sound like a negative surprise. There's some benefits to this of just how slow everything in retail is. You know, we're doing presentations now to get on shelves of a store third quarter of next year. You know, the third yeah. quarter just ended this year. So it, it just kind of requires you to 
you know, lift your head up from the handlebars and look so much farther ahead down the road of what will be a great ingredient to have on a limited edition flavor next July. I'm like, holy cow, it's not even Christmas. You know, it's, it's October of 2021. Yeah. How can I possibly plan that far in advance? But it's just kind of what the industry requires. Of course, the positive of that is, yeah, that, that's retailers forcing brands to think about consumers many months in advance. So if you're a consumer enjoying an experience, whether it is a pumpkin spice cookie or whatever the seasonal product is, know that that brand was thinking of you hundreds of days in advance. Like Definitely. that's great. There's a positive there. It gives the consumer a much better experience, but I've been surprised as an operator of, oh, I can't just keep shooting from the hip. Like we have to start having some, some processes in place nine months ahead of time. That's a, that's a great one for people who are maybe not deep into the CPG world at this point, right. listening to this. I know for me, when I joined our X bar in 20, I joined in November of 2017. And I remember like one of my first meetings, we were talking about pumpkin spice and I was yeah. like, pumpkin spice. I think we missed the boat on that. They're like, no, no, no. For next year. And I was like, wow, <laughs> really? Like we're having the, you know, like, yeah. So I, that was my first experience too. It is. It was, I remember like always having to think like, wow, we're talking so far in advance. It's crazy how, how far out retail works. It's so, so different than e-com. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for all that, Paul. That was great, great tidbits for the, for the audience. So I appreciate that. The last question and the most important one, how can people follow along with you and how can people try Ourobora and get involved with the brand? Yeah. Follow along with me. Um, you can just follow our Instagram is probably our most active social media, although we're getting more and more active, more places, but Drink Ourobora, A-U-R-A-B-O-R-A. Drink Ourobora is the name of our social handle on, on every platform. Um, don't worry about following along with me. You can follow along with the brand as an extension. Uh, to try the product, definitely, if you don't want to start with a 12-pack for $30, you can try to buy one or two cans near you, depending on what city you live in, by checking out where to find on our website. If you're a Thrive Market subscriber, you can buy two cans on Thrive. Nice. Uh, we're rolling out on GoPuff right now, where I think you can try one or two cans at a time. So lots of ways to try the product. Uh, to follow along with us, obviously, you can subscribe to our emails and, and read some ridiculous things we like to email out. But um, yeah, that's the best way of following along. Love that. Love that. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. And we'll add all the links to the show notes. And again, thank you for the time. I know you're a busy guy, so I appreciate you taking the time and, and talking more about Ouroboros. Great. Thank you, Shane.